0: Welcome to the Mid-Market CFO Circle, our podcast powered by High Radius. I'm your host, Madhurima Gupta. We hear you, Mid-Market CFOs, and we've got your back. We understand the challenges that you face, and every Thursday, we bring you conversations with your peers to understand the challenges that are faced at CFO's office can be solved and how should they be solved with emerging technology. And today, we have with us Christopher Rashida, uh, and we're going to call him Yosh, that's what he prefers, uh, who is an entrepreneur executive and comes with more than 20 years of experience as a global finance leader. He's deeply invested in understanding financial markets and has a passion for building dynamic successful teams. He's currently the president and chief financial officer of Northern Data, Europe's leading high-performance commuting company. He's also a board member of McLaren uh, Technology Acquisition Corp. Welcome to the show, Yosh. How are you doing?
1: I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm equally excited to host you today. Now, before we get started, um, you know, I would like to hear a little bit about you from yourself and how has your journey been as a finance leader?
1: Thank you for that. And it's it's a leading question. Uh, and, and I think it's a uh, hopefully refreshing answer. You know, I've been in the industry of finance for over over 20 years. Uh, I am a crisis baby. Uh, as I often refer to myself, having started my career in the beginning of the dot-com crisis, uh, suffered through the global financial crisis. Uh, you know, I would say excelled, but equally suffered through the European credit crisis. Uh, and so, you know, I've only known crisis. And so I think actually, as a finance leader, understanding the fragility of that reality um, has, has armed me well for for the conversations we have today with both our investors and the one we'll have today on this podcast. So I'm very excited to be
0: here. Absolutely, yosh So, you know, before we get started, uh, I want to You know, set a little bit of context. So we're going to talk today about what should a CFO's biggest concern today be? Should it be recession or should it be inflation? You know, both of them are like the hottest topics in financial industry right now. Um, And almost uh, 46% of CFOs uh, expect North American economy to be in recession by 2023. And they're preparing by controlling hiring, limiting headcounts, boosting productivity. And a brand new term for potential re- recession has also been coined, which is called the pasta ball uh, recession, if you might have uh, you know come across it. And as the name suggests, uh, what it essentially means is that though we will go into recession, it will probably, um, you know, long a reasonably longer duration of time, but will be mild, right? So setting that... Uh, context in? Since, you know, you might have yourself uh, faced different kind of economic uncertainties. How is this one different uh, from the others that you've seen before?
1: Well, you know, it's now upon reflection of sort of my introduction and my self-description of crisis, maybe I'll give a bit more backdrop. You know, I'm a banker in a markets uh, practitioner by background. So I'm not an actuary. Um, I wasn't an auditor. Uh, my, my path through finance has been driven through investment banking at, at Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, uh, uh, and Carlisle as well as, um, you know, into the broader finance world of, 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 of operational roles today. Uh, and so I think I have a pretty good grounding on the realities of what makes businesses financially viable and what does not. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm right, but obviously, quite frankly, in your point about it, what makes this crisis different or what makes this period different is really, really interesting. I mean, we're in the longest or has been the longest, you know, so certainly post-war expansion period and and the longest probably we'll see of our generation of the last, say, nine to 12 years, depending on exactly your time frame uh, of what's been an amazing bull market run for all industry. Uh, And, you know, you believe the rising tide lifting all boats. We've all benefited, right? Think of cost of capital, multiple expansion, uh, largely deflationary pressures around wage uh, and other technological advancements have all been really enhancing for operational uh, efficiencies over the last 10-12 years post the great financial crisis. So I think what's an amazing part is we've really benefited from a tailwind, and whether we appreciated it or not, it was an extraordinary tailwind, and probably one that any macroeconomist would never have foreseen lasting as long and being as great. Uh, And so that's one, right? And the second part being, which we'll talk a little bit about, is why I think this time is different, is one of the reaction functions post the crisis that was exacerbated with the COVID, uh, I guess, realities were an extraordinary amount of liquidity put into the system. Every government, certainly in the G7 and even G20 world, was was liquefying and enhancing uh, the economic realities of their own economies that contributed to a, a, a global excess of, of investable capital. Uh, you know, great examples of that embody the tech space when you see small or, or unknown or even uh, nascent startups achieving extraordinary valuations uh, with very little to show for it, or the crypto space where you saw evolutions well beyond the base case of Bitcoin into NFTs and second and third derivatives. Uh, you know, And I'm a big believer in crypto, so I'm not suggesting that that was a bad outcome, but I'm saying the irrational exuberance that sort of created second, third, and fourth derivative valuations impact, I don't think we fully appreciate it until it's gone. So why I'm, I'm concerned today that makes it different than the years before I think we're in a secular shift for two reasons. One is uh, we're never going to see negative rates again in our lifetime. I mean, I think that was truly or we shouldn't at least see negative rates. Uh, you know, when when companies like Nestle and others can issue bonds at zero or negative interest rates, that is a perverse uh, situation that doesn't make any sense where, where they can get paid to borrow people's money. You know, just the reality of that statement it makes it unique in time. Uh, and then secondly, you think about the inflationary aspects we're seeing now around power and energy. Uh, and, you know, I was driving to work this morning and in the U.K. where I live, there's a, a lot of uh, concern about the, the energy reliance that the United Kingdom has on neighboring, uh, you know, providers. Uh, you know, the U.K. is wholly uh, imports power uh, or energy uh, people and capital. Right? I mean, we have a twin deficit. That's well known. Uh, And you obviously saw the recent uh, treasury issues that were announced this past week. And then overnight, the IMF came out and suggested that the UK rethink its its fiscal policy for the coming years. So it's a complicated situation, but I guess underpinning a lot of that response mechanism in Europe and the US has been an energy issue. Uh, And, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating in the debate, because corporates, small, medium and large are caught up in this, is we all consume a ton of energy, right, you know, whether whether you're a hyperscaler and a data center provider, or whether you're just a large retailer, your energy footprint is probably quite substantial. And I do think we're on a secular trend where energy prices are going to be higher uh, than we've seen historically. And that's also because as we move towards more renewable friendly carbon neutral aspects, you can't replace or displace what's been a century of buildup of infrastructure around those carbon heavy uh, energy sources. And I think it's great we move away from them. You can't just switch a light switch off on one and turn one on the other and think it's going to be a, a a level swap and even swap and so from i think from a a cfo or planning perspective you know the two or three areas that have me sleeping uh, sleepless at night which i think my peers and my uh Uh, and my partners in similar roles and functions around the global face is we haven't seen this kind of recessionary shock and an inflation shock simultaneously. Typically, you'd be going into a recession and you'd see central banks easing policy. Uh, But right now we have central banks hiking policy uh, and, you know, to curb the inflation. And when it's being led by the U.S., the Federal Reserve, Uh, You know, that is deflationary or tries to curb some of the inflation uh, pressures the U.S. dollar is facing, but it causes a tremendous amount of inflationary pressures outside of the U.S. Uh, And so I think right now as a CFO, you know, the three letters that are probably most important to Uh, the operational function are (laughs) FP&A. All right, never never have we seen in the last decade such intense planning going on and forecasting over the next, say, coming 6, 12, 24, 36 months, because your variables and that dispersion around that, around things like just your power consumption uh, or energy costs or wage and labor uh, benefits is extraordinary. And I think to me, that's a really, really important aspect that CFOs around the world having to face, they haven't had to face in probably the last decade.
0: And what do you think the finance leaders, in your opinion, should be planning for as the economy is nearing recession? What will be your take on it?
1: I mean, shoring up financing is clearly important. Uh, You know, we've all benefited from very loose policy, affording in in a tremendous amount of of capital chasing those good investable ideas, whether it's equity or debt, uh, or or credit facilities and flexible capital structures. You know, I think we all probably were a little naive in thinking that that would last longer. So I'm 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 very uh, emphatic to the companies that I advise, let alone the company that I help run, that you know your 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 funding, uh, both by the way from operations, but also in terms of uh, of of capex and broader strategies, need to be really thought through robustly, because I do think the world has changed dramatically. And if nothing else, you know the the risk off environment we're in today makes investors just rethink committing capital today and so as you know whether you're a public company and a large one or a private company and a small one you know the accessibility and the price of capital is your lifeblood because you know very few companies and this is one of the other points I think is very fascinating and I'm sure in 10 or 20 years time we'll reflect on it with a Harvard business review study or whatever it may be you know I think we're going to see wow think if I'm a tech company specifically or uh we're not profitable and yet investor was investors were attracted to them because of this multiple expansion, sort of this you know this growth story, but how you fuel and fund that growth story wasn't rational if 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 capital prices were priced more appropriately and more in line with where they are today or where they're going tomorrow. It made a ton of sense when rates were zero and and capital was free. Uh, and so I think growth capital, as it's coined, um, is going to be much more hard to procure uh, and much shallower in depth of, ca- of capacity. So I think right now it's about shoring up funding, uh, be extending your runways. If you're not profitable, find that path to profitability. Uh, because you know, if you're not able to substantiate that, I'd say within inside 12 to 18 months to investors, your cost of capital is going to be eye-wateringly high and probably quite operationally prohibitive. Uh, and I think to me, that's a really big example. And you know, I heard from a, a an investor a few weeks ago who was telling me a story. This is now back in August, which is obviously seems like a year ago, considering it was only a month ago. And they said they had invested in a, in a in a uh, a real estate investment in the u s. Uh, and they went to, and it was, a, they've had it for several years. So they understand the operational cadence of, of the real estate. I believe it was a hotel uh, in, the, in Southern Florida. And it's been a, a nice free cash flowing investment for them for the last several years. They went to refi the mortgage this spring on it. And just the repricing of the mortgage alone, right, cut the, the free cash flow into not half, but down to a quarter. Down to twenty five percent of what what was before, and so you can think of that like that. That's assuming there's no operational change in the business, but just by repricing your your cost of funding in a mortgage, which is the most secured type of funding we can achieve these days, uh, to me, I thought was a fascinating statement of how much leverage there is in the system and the operating bar- margins, right? And so I think margins right now are heavily compressed. And so I have sympathy to the investors and to the strategists in the, in the equity market who are saying they're concerned about margin compression because I can see that happening both from a top line perspective as growth is curtailing, you know, sort of the middle part where you talk about your costs are, are hard to control at the moment. So even getting, you know, reducing your head, your headcount or reducing your operate operational costs as, as somebody who spent a lot of his career in the market. I think that the eye of the storm is never when you want to reduce those costs. If you weren't planning for it six to nine months ago or a year ago, it's hard to say now is the moment. But I do think things are that uh, pressing, where if we don't take action, uh, you're going to be a victim of your own of your own lack of decision uh, later on. Because I don't see this getting easier. Uh, so for me, I, I, my advice to you know our you know friends, advisors, companies, and and fellow uh, uh, finance leaders is I do think you know maintaining as much operating leverage as you can in the business is paramount. Reducing costs where you can is paramount. Uh, uh, you know, getting your your uh, you know, your capex in line, so you understand the cost and really having a viable funding path is paramount. Um, you know, we had a, a window for, like I said, a decade where that was not necessarily the highest priority. It was an it was a it was nice to focus on it, but it wasn't a requirement. I think now it is.
0: Josh, what do you feel? Uh, do you think a mild uh, recession is just what we needed to get over sky high prices and supply chain? Those.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I hope it's not as mild. I uh, sorry I hope it's as I hope it's more mild than I fear. I, I'm I think it may be a harsher uh, again because you look how many countries and economies have twin deficits right now. Um, I you know I'm not a geopolitical analyst, but the. The Ukraine conundrum and the energy complex doesn't seem to have a simple answer because if it was, you know, we haven't advanced the solution much at all in the year 2022. So I do fear that's going to um, going to uh, have a, a prolonged impact i mean if you look just as a corollary you know the federal reserve hiking rates as aggressively as it is is putting a ton of pressure on the energy complex which does demonstrate the world thinks that that you know oil right now is back to the beginning of the year of the pre-ukraine invasion price point so i think they are pricing in obviously a reduced demand side of the equation in the coming you know 12, 24 months. But I also do think that we have further to go. I mean, I you know, you just think of the, the irrational valuations. Uh, I think a, a, a harsher recession is probably more likely. And maybe it might be prolonged, but I do think we're going to bottom out and have a, a shallower, uh, gradual recovery. I don't think it's going to be quick because central banks are going to be, I think, slow to respond in policy by reducing rates uh, to excessively low levels again. So I think that's going to make it longer. I agree there. But I do think I, we're going to have a sharper decline, and we're in the middle of that right now, um, and that may be where we start to see. I mean, I know we're only in a technical recession, I believe, in some economies, and in others, we are not. We haven't even described it as such, but I think we're all clearly pointed to that direction.
0: And um, in your opinion, I mean, a cliche question, but in your opinion, what is of more uh, stress uh, given the economic damage that it can cause? Uh, is it a recession or inflation?
1: I mean, I, I think it's inflation uh, because, you know, I look at wage pressures you're seeing around the world right now. And if you go to any restaurant or just bodega or retail store, help wanted signs are are, are littering the high streets of every major city I've seen. And I travel the world quite a lot, both for pleasure, but for business as well. Um, and so I do worry that those wage pressures, like most things, they're hard to go backwards. And once they start to experience upward mobility, they don't go down. And so you're kind of stuck at this high price point. And I do think wage inflation is probably long overdue. Um, I mean, I do believe in cost of living, uh, you, know, you know, living wages. I think employers need to be, you know, uh, you know, the G that everyone talks about. We always you focal, focus so much on the E aspect of, of those three letters. You know, there's a social Uh, impact as well that I think we have a a responsibility for as as fiduciaries or our companies into our people. Um, So I'm in favor of higher wage pressures to keep up with cost of living but there are limits to that statement right I, I I can't solve it you know with with runaway inflation. I can't solve, practically speaking, uh, the wage requirements of my of, of our employees when energy goes up. Uh, you know, energy bills quadruple in a year uh, or their own cost of living for food quadruples in a year. I mean, I can't quadruple salaries. So there's limits to what can be done. And I think that's where I, I fear more about inflation than I do recession because I can't pass those prices on I mean, some industries can. We can pass one for one your increase of your costs right on to your consumer. Most can't, right? So it ends up making me run on a lower margin business, uh, which therefore means I'm more reliant on external fa- factors, which doesn't feel very good from a controlling perspective.
0: And, uh, you know, I, I feel that our uh, financial system is pretty complex and it is incredibly hard for us humans to accurately predict what future might hold for us. Um, And luckily we do have technology that provides us an advantage in that area. So how do you feel, uh, can artificial intelligence help the CFO's office in these trying times? I think
1: it does. I mean, data is everyone's friend and everyone's enemy because you don't know, we don't know. And I I think, listen, we're a data company at heart, right? We're high performance computing infrastructure. So we're seeing that mega trend continue where the, the processing of data through AI and ML is 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 a huge story for the future, right? And how that applies to finance? I mean, I I think you know there's a good joke if, you know, your 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 best friend at your at your job is who as a CFO right now in my mind that's your controller or your head of FPNA. and uh, because those individuals are being tasked with some extraordinary challenges to try to forecast you know what the likelihood is in the future. I mean, just look at the currency markets. Uh, I mean, this is not easy to understand what happens to euro dollar a cable or in India the rupee uh i mean you're seeing these extraordinary moves you know the yen uh, over the week uh, when uh, when the boj intervened uh you know which was historic for a g7 country so i, I think right now it's really hard for fpa or controllers to forecast pro- you know properly but that's why they're under a tremendous amount of stress but there's some great tools uh that they have now available to them that allows them to draw on large you know pools of data Uh, that helps them understand both their business, but also the impact of those costs that are probably a little more hard to quantify. Uh, And I think that's great. So for me, it's been an enabler. Um, but boy, uh, if, you, if you're not if you're not uh, flattering and uh, extolling the virtues of your controller or FP&A head, uh, you should be right now because that person is is par- arguably the most uh, influential and important person in a, in a financial office across the world.
0: Absolutely. And talking about cost, you know, I really want to talk about the budgets that uh, a lot of companies or CFOs' office have planned towards let's say financial transformation in the coming years. And given recession and you know, inflation, many enterprises are now starting to cut their budgets for the next year. Uh, this will likely put brakes on maybe a few uh, AI projects, maybe hiring or technology uh, based procurements. Um, do you think it is right for CFO's office to put a hold uh, on such projects Given how likely we are to see a bigger gap between companies that perform well and the companies that don't, based on their investment in advanced technology.
1: I mean, I I hearken back and having spent time at Carlisle, as as I think you know the the preeminent private equity firm in the world, you know they spend so much time obsessing. Uh, correctly uh, in its portfolio, but operational excellence, and I think you know having these tools, and I so I got to appreciate firsthand what operational excellence uh, uh, from the you know from the the private equity side really means, and, and kudos to their focus and their intense focus on these points. Uh, and, and you know I think operational excellence comes at a cost, right like you say it does it's not straightforward, it's not easy. Um, it's not inexpensive especially in in a, in a recessionary period or a transitionary period we're in right now. but I do think that has to be a priority item at all costs uh, because the other side of that adoption is extremely efficient and it does provide a better operational business. Uh, and equally, you know, for a lot of businesses that are, go across multinational uh, uh, you know, economies uh, and touch points around the world, the complexities they're facing right now are very hard to map out in traditional Excel or, or, or manual. It's just not straightforward. So I think having that technology just allows them to be run better. And I think you're right. You made a good point. I, you know, as the industries have become more competitive and one of the great Evolutions of COVID. If you think, or, or sort of, this democratization of 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 opportunity around the world, where people can work remotely, uh, uh, you know, I think businesses have found uh, boundaries to be less confining in the in the in the post-COVID era, which is great. But it just means you need to have more energy and substance to your technology and your robustness of purpose around your modeling uh, and your forecasting and your understanding of your of your costs and the inputs, and 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 that to me is a very it's easy to be manual, and manual can be still very good. But as you as you stress your organization laterally around the globe, uh, I think you need to have uh, much more of a reliance on on you know common language. And be able to articulate that to the, your investors and to your partners, because you know whether even if it's not just your investors, you're you're selling your operational excellence to, right? It's your it's your supply chain partners, you know. No people don't want to partner. It's your customers. It's not just your investors. And I think your 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 articulation of your strategy, your operational competencies, and the robustness of purpose around there uh, gives everyone you face, you know, 360 degrees employees too. By the way, you know, hopefully comfort that you're running, you know, the soundest ship possible even though you we know, you acknowledge we're probably in the early stages of a, of a pretty intense storm.
0: You know, we're coming to the end of uh, the podcast and I, there are a couple of uh, questions that I still do have. So in spite of uh, the macroeconomic uncertainty, uh, CFOs are not losing their appetite for risk. Uh, 38% of uh, those who are surveyed as per a survey that we are referring to right now, it, it looks like they feel that it's a good time to take risks up, uh, which is up from Last quarter by 35 percent. Uh, why do you feel, or why do you see that CFOs feel this way?
1: Yeah, there's a phrase, and I think you never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, you know, there are opportunities that are bearing. Uh, fruit around the world. Uh, I think as as any industry, consolidation always makes sense in times of crisis. Uh, It's a chance for you to grow, uh, vertically integrate. I mean, there's a lot of good opportunities to do it. And I think as you reflect on your own business model, you'll find opportunities that maybe were less obvious yesterday that are more obvious today, just given what's transpiring in the world around us. And so I think, you know, again, finding ways to take out margin efficiencies or increase margin, increase efficiencies, uh, you know, integrations. These are all opportunities opportunities that people I think are going to really look hard at because you know when you come out the backside of this I mean there's always those phrases and I, and I feel like I'm sort of giving sound bites but you know you always hear about good companies being you know galvanized and built in bear markets in recessionary periods and I think that's true uh you know as you rethink your business model uh, in times of, of of tight financial realities I think you just build a better business uh, and so if you can find ways to integrate acquire, harmonize, uh, you know, grow, those are always good opportunities because the, the price point typically is quite uh, attractive. If you're acquiring uh, the integration, the margin of savings are quite attractive. And so then as you come out of the backside of the recessionary period, which we will, by the way, this is not forever, all right? uh, but I think we need to be mindful. You want to build uh, with, a, with a, uh, uh, an astute mind and a keen eye for, for, uh, for value.
0: So, I mean, this is uh, the last question that I have for you in terms of uh, how CFOs should be looking at inflation and recession and how they should be navigating their way through it. So tell us uh, what are your parting opinions on precautions that CFOs should be taking to safeguard themselves from uh, recessionary pressures?
1: It's always easy to say that the you know the 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 problems of your of your of your competitors or the challenges of your industries don't apply to you, uh, and we always have that sort of distance bias uh, of feeling that we're better than the average uh, or better than many. Uh, I think that is a a, a fallacy. Uh, I and even if it doesn't apply to you. By heeding the warning signs of competitors' failures or, or or trippings, I think you just run a better business. So I, I spend a ton of time studying my competitive landscape and I urge others to do as well. I I, I may hold the similar opinion that I may be better or we may be better than the average or better than the most. But you know, in times of difficult financial uh, uh, periods, you know, all things trade to the same value of average. So you want to make sure you're not caught up in it. So I think really heeding the warning signs of the world around you. I think being very mindful of funding because why one industry may be well funded today, it can change very quickly. I mean, again, the tech world has seen this happen overnight this year. Uh, as everyone's now obsessing about, you know, free cash flow and profitability, uh, and so I think just trying to be really focused and methodically executing. And the other part, last part, I would say, is communicate, 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 communicate to your 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 team, your people, your employees, your investors. Uh, I think sometimes in in pressure situations, and I go back to my, my time at Morgan Stanley where we had some amazing leaders. Uh, help navigate through the crisis. Uh, you know, the, there's a time, there's, a, there's often you want to communicate less because you feel that the message may not be well received, or that the the message you have to tell may not be want to be heard because it's it's not good. But I think that communication actually does instill confidence, and it actually instills purpose, and it keeps your people focusing on the things that you want them to focus on. And I you know in the last few months for us, you know, I've I, I get a ton of people volunteering their assistance to help finance and and leadership. On the company, which is great. But really, I want them to execute their roles. And if they do their role well, uh it just help, allows us to do our role better. Uh, and I think that really comes from communication from the top down. So I, my, my key pressing lasting point is communicate. Uh, and I think that will help alleviate a lot of stresses uh, from occurring down the line.
0: I think with that, we come to the end of this episode of CFO Circle Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope uh, that this was an interesting session for you so stay tuned and thank you so much Yush, for taking time today and speaking with us.